0: All right. Welcome everyone to episode 18 of APS Radio. Uh, my name is Jim Bernick and my special guest today is a familiar friend, Mike Brewer. Good morning to you.
1: Good morning, Jim. How you doing today?
0: I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, I say familiar face because you were actually on an old show of mine, uh, the 25 Live. You were episode number 24. You were pretty early on in that.
1: Yeah, man. It was a great honor. I appreciate it. It was. It was fun.
0: All right. Well, this time it's not just audio it's video i got my cool background i don't care where you're at you're in the kitchen it is what it is you're remodeling your house
1: forgive (laughs) him
0: it's going to be fine all right we'll roll with it all right so what we're working on today um and i think last time we, we talked about the first edition now we're actually talking about the third edition we we went ahead and skipped the second edition but we're talking about this fire investigator health and safety best practices It's available to you online. We'll talk about where to get it. You can get it in color. Uh, I'm just cheap and printed in black and white.
1: (laughs) Man, you didn't uh, highlight the fact that I'm on the cover. Black and white doesn't help.
0: Now, you are old. So, I mean, you got that going for you.
1: (laughs) And I am getting older by the day. We all are.
0: (laughs) So, um, this is, I, I love this report. Um, and I love where we're at because I know we talked pretty early on and there was so much research out there, um, regarding especially cancer and the modern fire atmosphere, but there was definitely areas in which research was lacking. And that was, you know, the, the wildland, the volunteers, and it was the investigators. We finally have had some research in the last few years that kind of really talk about everything you're being exposed to, uh, cause your job is, um, it's unique in the fact that, you know, what you're being exposed to, but they're just, we're behind on that with the research. So you want to, I'll kind of tag you in. And you could just kind of touch base on that real quick.
1: Yeah, Jim. So I started investigations in 2010. And when I started my, my great mentor, um, would go into a fire scene and he would be in his normal blues that he worked, at, you know, he worked in every day. And, uh, I learned pretty quick. Early on in my career, my lungs just didn't like the post-fire environment. So I would be standing next to him with an SCVA on because I was a firefighter that was learning how to do investigations. And he would just be in there, you know, two hours, three hours with nothing on, no respiratory protection whatsoever. Um, he's still doing well, God bless him. He's retired, traveling with his family, uh, but there's a lot of guys that aren't. And uh, cancer is one of those things that, that gets a hold of people. Um, if you know anybody that's had a family member with cancer or ever gone through cancer, such as yourself, there's life before cancer, because you don't know anything better, right? You don't know anything different. And then there's life afterwards and, and watching a loved one go through that or a colleague, um, is, is life changing, man. It'll change your, change your perspective on things. So I was just a crazy guy that started doing fire investigations, and uh, I came up with some ideas of how to make it better for us. Uh, And then in the right place at the right time at one of the international conventions for the IAAI, the International Association of Arson Investigators, um, that's who I sit on the Health and Safety Committee. And uh, I was in the right place at the right time and met the right people and got on the committee uh, many years ago for the first edition and uh, we've just been snowballing this thing ever since so we're super excited with the third edition um there's a lot of amazing stuff that we've added in there and it's it's a truly all-encompassing document um and fire investigators have been forgotten you know unfortunately all the all the studies over the years were fire fighter related um and a lot of those looked at kind of the same things but nobody talked about the investigators and what we were wearing or what we weren't wearing truthfully and, uh, and so now with the research, uh, Gavin Horton's group, uh, he's, he's an amazing guy. He's on, he's on our committee um, as a subject matter expert. And uh, a lot of what he's done is proven, You know, we don't know what we don't know, but we also don't know what these toxins are doing when they're blending together in the fire environment. So everything in our homes no longer is made of natural products, it's all synthetics. So when that stuff burns and all that stuff mixes, it's hard to say what that turns into. Um, but there is good research going on now for fire investigators. And uh, we're, we're just learning you know, every year more and more about it. And uh, we're seeing changes in the fire investigation community so that people are um,
0: protecting themselves. No, that's great. And I think it's born too. I know where you're at in Arizona. Correct me if I'm wrong, you and your position are covered for cancer presumption?
1: So I am. um, And initially I was, but I had a team of investigators. So I was the fire investigations captain uh, for four years. And I had a team of of five other people that were civilian. I was a sworn fire captain. They were a civilian fire investigator and inspector. Um, Luckily, we were able to change the law in the state of Arizona to include whether you were sworn or not for fire investigators uh, for that presumptive cancer law. It's not all cancer, but it is uh, we do have a pretty comprehensive list in Arizona, and we've been very lucky to to have that. Um, and as I travel the country and go to different conferences and talk to different people, there's a divide. and um, unfortunately, fire investigators, Sometimes they're sworn, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're included, sometimes they're forgotten. So uh, we just have to get the message out and just keep up the good fight to get everybody included and stuff like that.
0: It's all the more reason to prevent this stuff to begin with because, you know, where where you were covered and I was covered, um, you know, it it was a lot easier to prevent this stuff to begin with because especially if you're not covered. I mean, you have you're all in because you're going to be all you're going to be on your own if you do end up getting diagnosed with anything. So I know that's how it is in my state.
1: Yeah. And it's not cheap, man. Uh, cancer treatment is not cheap, no matter how you go about it. So uh, getting those folks included is, is very important. Um, and and then, you know, just a, a point that we get forgotten as fire investigators is in Arizona. We passed we passed another law for PTSD services. And it it even included dispatchers, but we still forgot fire investigators. So we're working on that now to try to get them added in. Um, And I can tell you some of the worst stuff I've ever seen, you know, I've been a paramedic a long, long time and uh, ran a lot of calls, but some of the worst, worst things I've ever seen have been on fire investigations with a fatality. So um, those aren't pretty things to see. And that's stuff that can haunt you for a while. So you know that mental health is uh, definitely important to take care of, and uh, we're we're working on that here
0: in Arizona for our folks. That's so. That's a great point. I'm glad you guys are trying to be proactive regarding that stuff. So, touching on all this stuff though, um, that that post fire environment, we we finally had that research out there, Gavin's and a few else, a few others. Um, what's some of the stuff that they were seeing? um, in that post-fire atmosphere. And I know the hard thing is there's no fires that are similar. Every fire is going to be different. So, but what were some kind of common themes that were popping up?
1: Um, so the, the two biggest toxicants we see post-fire environment in every single fire is the CO and, um, hydrogen cyanide. And then we're also finding that formaldehyde is, is off gassing for a lot of those things as well as the PAHs. Um, I'm not a scientist, so I don't have those. The, uh, it's polycyclic something. Methyl ethyl bad stuff is pretty much all it. <laughs> so, but they're finding that that stuff's hanging around for a long time. And then, um, you know, we created it, kind of the uh, the A, B and and C zones or the, the hot, cold or hot, warm, cold zones um, for this document. Uh, but anybody that's been in a post fire environment, whether it's it's one day or a month or a year, if you go into that structure, you start walking around and you got a flashlight or the sun's kind of coming in from the roof because the roof burned off or something. When you start moving that stuff around, you're, you're creating dust and particles that are floating in the air. And, and that's where we have the unknown, right? We don't know what that stuff's doing, what it, what it is what it's mixed with. And so the post-fire environment is, is a hazmat scene. Um, You know, you mentioned it's warm here in Arizona. Yeah, it gets a little warm. Um, So I was a crazy guy and started wearing a Tyvek suit and an SCBA and fire scenes. The first time I did it and I came home, my wife looked at me and said, how come you don't smell like smoke? And I was like, well, I tried something new today. So we started doing that. Um, we started using, and I'm not plugging Tyvek. It's just the one that we happen to use. Uh, the Tyvek 800 goes down to three microns, and it was keeping part- particles um, and and other stuff, you know, that I don't know, can't see off of my body, so that I wasn't off gassing that for, you know, three or four or five days after. Normally, every time you take a shower, you you smell like smoke. You can just smell it coming out of your skin and your pores. Your hair smells like smoke. And uh, once we switched to that, it changed, kind of changed the game for us. Um, but with that being said, you have to change your work ref ratio. Wearing an SCBA is not fun. Taking pictures, you know, good fire investigation pictures with a camera with an SCBA mask on is not an easy task. So we had to change our cameras to where we could actually have a viewfinder uh, instead of doing it old school. So. Um, you, you got to change your work rest ratios. You know, you can't be in there for two, three hours. You got to do maybe 20 minutes, come out, take a break, swap bottles, get something to drink, something to eat. Um, and, and make sure you're doing that in a clean manner. So you're not cross
0: contaminating your stuff. It's important to note. I think that you are doing this in a environment that's pretty warm. Um, and if you can do it,
1: yeah if we can do it in the southwest desert of arizona you can do it anywhere for
0: yes. sure that 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 is a huge point to make so i appreciate you making that um you know it's and we have come a long way um i know, and it's still used i see it all the time where you know, we, got, we get the monitor out and we're looking, okay, uh, CO, HCN, all right, we're, we're within normal limits and somehow we're able to take our mask off like it's a, you know, it's, it's magic. That's, the, that's the, what we're looking at. And the misnomer is that has no relation to any of the other chemicals, carcinogens that's in that environment. Is that accurate?
1: That's 100% accurate. So we have a very small window of what we can measure with metering and going back to what we were saying earlier about all of the different chemicals that mix and we don't even really know what they turn into that are off gassing um you know that post fire environment is is just a a cesspool of of toxins that we don't even know there's so many um there's a long long laundry list of things we do know but we don't know what we don't know so um the best thing to do. And and I don't know about you, but my airway just doesn't like it. So I've, I've done overhaul without, uh, a mask on, you know, kind of like you said, we monitor and we're like, Oh, Hey, we hit the magic numbers. We can take all this stuff off because wearing an SCBA is not fun. Wearing a PAPR is not fun. Um, but then, you know, later on you're, you're kind of coughing you don't feel real good. Um, usually get a headache, get a ripping headache for an hour or two afterwards, take some ibuprofen think, Oh, it's just normal. So that's, you know, that's been our culture and we just have to change our culture, you know, making a cultural shift is in, in the fire service, whether it's investigations or firefighters, um, there's two things, firefighters and fire investigators hate, right? The way things are now and change. So, (laughs) so we gotta, we gotta just make that cultural shift. And, you know, we had guys making fun of us like, Hey, what are you doing, man? Why are you wearing all that stuff? And uh, I said, cause I'm going into a hazmat scene. And they're like, well, did, did we find something hazmat in there? I go, no, everything in there that burned created a hazmat scene for us. So we have to be careful. Um, the coolest thing, and, and I'll plug it, man. I I'm, i don't work for them, but uh, F500 is a, um, oh geez.
0: I just forgot the name of it. It is encapsulating not encapsulating agent.
1: That's it. Encapsulating agent. Exactly. And we started using it and it is weird. Like I would love to do more research with that because a fire, a post-fire environment went from smelling terrible to now it smells like oranges. So, uh, not that it's a hundred percent safe. Cause I don't know what I don't know. And we don't know what's still floating around, but it does appear to make a big difference. Um, and so with that being said, it, it's, it definitely helps putting out fire. Um, it, it's been a pretty amazing addition to our fleet. So nice.
0: yeah, good, good deal. Um, I wanted to touch on uh, some of this report, I mean, it was again a very comprehensive report. You guys definitely covered a, a large amount of ground with this, but the just the overall just exposure reduction, like it's not just even at the fire scene; it's everything before the fire scene and after the fire scene. Would you mind kind of touching on some of those items?
1: Yeah, Jim. So the exposure reduction concept um, starts with with you and your your practice with your gear. Um, before and after the fire, as well as your vehicle. Um, like I said, when I first started doing this, the truck we were using just reeked the smoke. The cabs stunk. You know, people had a culture of putting their their gear in the back seat, so that stuff just permeated the seats of the truck. Um, and then they they just didn't clean their gear real well, so their gear always smelled like smoke. Um, and this is both sides. This is the fire service, firefighters, and and fire investigators. So it, it goes back to making that cultural change and, and understanding that you can cross contaminate stuff. Um, and I can't remember exactly who did the study, but, but they did a study about the, um, it, ha- it, it, it's out there. It has the, the, the glowing dust and it shows where firefighters you've seen that video where, where we get exposed a lot. It's on the neck. Yeah. And they also, yeah. like, when you take your gear off, um, and you get it on your hands and then you don't realize you get it on your hands and you're touching your face and all that stuff. And it shows that glow, that glowing dust shows. And so it's, it's just, uh, it's just changing the way we do business. That's, that's really what it boils down to Um, prevention is, you know, I, had a fire chief when I first started, he said prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that was a George Washington statement, I believe, but he, he loved to say that. And uh, you know, just keeping your, keeping your gear clean, keeping you clean. Cleaning your yourself and your your gear after a, an environment that you've been in, um, not bringing that stuff home to your family, uh, is is a huge step in the right direction. And that's you know a lot of what our document talks about. Um, we do talk a little bit about clean cab as well, and and that started on the fire truck side, but it it definitely applies to fire investigations. Um, you know, the International Association of Arson Investigators has been awesome uh, with the Health and Safety Committee. They've We've got a great group of people. Um, I can't take credit for all of it. There's there's a, a long laundry list of folks that are on that committee, as well as subject matter experts that that do a lot of research with the universities, UL, uh, NIOSH, NIS, CDC, um, a couple of the other universities, like University of Miami. Um, so this is definitely a collaboration across the country. Uh, we've got one guy in the UK that's amazing. So it, it's truly a, a worldwide document that's changing the way people do business all across the, the country and the world. So um, to be a part of that, I'm very blessed and very excited to, to share that with everybody. So, um, but getting back to, to your question about the uh, prevention, um, it's it's just work rest ratios, cycling in, cycling out, doing that in a clean manner um, keeping your gear clean, keeping your vehicle clean. And then, um, the nice thing about the Tyvek is you just crumple it up and throw it away. So it's not a reusable thing, but you get rid of all that stuff, uh, that, that was on your body, uh, you know, that kind of magnetizes to you as you're going through the fire environment, fire investigators spend, you know, a, a simple investigations an hour, uh, a more complex investigation could take days. So you could be in there for eight, 10 hours a day Digging and sorting and and it could even be longer than that. So it just depends on the event because it's fire explosion and investigation. So NFBA 921 covers both. Um, and some of the more complicated investigations out there take days, weeks, sometimes they take months. So those folks are going in those scenes back and forth for an extended period of time. And and we just need to protect ourselves.
0: Exactly. So if we can, I'd like to actually go into these different scenarios, post-fire environments in which you guys are actually going in. Um, and you actually, now that we have research, we're able to kind of break it down and figure out what kind of PPE is appropriate per the situation. So if you don't mind, we can jump in and, and to talk about uh, these different scenarios that you guys were able to kind of work out. So, Let's just start off with the big one, hot, hot scene A.
1: Yeah, so hot scene A is our, our fire scene um, where most of the time that's going to be our public fire investigator. So the private guys don't usually show up for a, a day or two. Um, that's going to be our, our public sector fire investigators that are there uh, with the dispatch. Some, some uh, fire departments have a fire investigator on call 24-7 they get dispatched with maybe a working fire and they're gonna be there the soonest after extinguishment and and before overhaul. And sometimes there's critical pieces of the puzzle that need to be either photographed or collected whether it's evidence or whatever. And so those folks are gonna be making entry with a fire crew and they need to be in the appropriate PPE. In that scenario, you wouldn't be making entry into a Tyvek suit just because it's still a hot scene, a hot hot environment. So you would need uh, turnout gear with an SCBA on for that. Um, and then we'll just keep rolling down the list if you want. Um, the hot scene B yep. is a fire scene that that has been fully extinguished and overhauled, um, but it's still less than the two hour window from fire extinguishment. So that's, that's a lot of fires because a lot of organizations have an investigator, maybe on call. So they call a fire investigator out takes about an hour to get there. So they don't usually call for them right away because they don't know that they need them until the fire's out. They've done a little overhaul and somebody says, Hey chief, this, this, uh, we don't know what caused this, you know, nobody was home. We don't know what's going on here. So, so that, that two hours, um, Less than two hours is, is kind of that window when the fire investigator usually shows up on an on-call situation. And once again, that's gonna be your public sector folks. Um, whether you're sworn, whether you're, you're a civilian, it doesn't really matter. Um, but that's the, the environment you're gonna be going into. There's gonna be a lot of off-gassing of, of the materials at that point still, even though it's it's uh, extinguished, it's not an overhaul, it's not necessarily cold by any stretch of the imagination. So. Uh, wearing the appropriate PPE is key on that. Um, going into the warm scene, so we have what? Hot... What
0: is Mike? Real quick, I'm sorry. Yeah. What is what would be be considered the appropriate PPE for that hot hot scene be?
1: So we're still advocating that they have some kind of um, potentially thermal protection um, because you, you. I've made entry. You can make entry with the Tyvek type uh, suit. Um, if there's any danger of a rekindle or anything like that, then you don't want to be in that type of a, a ensemble. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So but some type of airway protection for sure. Um, and honestly, you're, you're going to want some type of airway protection in all of them because it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. We don't know what's hundred percent what's out there. Right. So like we talked about earlier. Um, but typically uh, hot scene, a hot scene, B, you'd be an SCBA or some type of a uh, air purifying respirator, warm scene. You're looking at, um, at least two hours post-fire extinguishment. <coughs> excuse me. And then, uh, less than 72 hours. So less than three days, that's where our private sector folks are going to also start showing up with the insurance companies. Um, a lot of times we'll work together um in in tandem to investigate a fire cause and origin origin and cause um so in that in that environment you can you can definitely wear a tyvek and, and don't have to worry about the thermal rekindle thermal protection situation um it's been out it's been out for two or three days and uh you can make entry safely But you can still have a lot of off gassing you can still have a lot of the particles in the air. And then the, the cold scene is going to be 72 hours beyond. Um, And once again, the cold scene is not a safe scene. It's just cold, right? It's been, it's been extinguished. It's been maybe well ventilated, maybe not. So that's, that's the other thing is we do a lot of board up uh, in, in our community. So we have contractors on call once the fire investigators done in that we'll call it the hot scene A, hot scene B. We bring in a company here, everybody's belongings and it's locked up tight. So the windows are all boarded up, you know, the roof's covered. So that now, now it's, it's an oven, uh, and as we talked about, it's still not cold in Arizona all the time, right? So we've got, uh, it's May now and it's gonna be like 104 today. So you, you lock up a house tight and then you board it all up and then you, you have no AC go in and you let it sit there and just cook in the sun. Um, and then 72 hours later, greater than 72 hours, we consider it a cold scene and we've got private investigators going in. Um, and and that's, that's really where a lot of this cultural change is gonna have to take place because in the fire service, we have the, the equipment and now we're just sharing it with fire investigators. But on the private side, the insurance companies are employing most of the time they're retired, either cops or firefighters that have become fire investigators at some point in their career. And, and now they're working in that private sector, but they don't have access to all that stuff. And so that's that's gonna be a big change because an SCBA is not cheap. Uh, Pappers are a little less expensive, um, but whether you want to be a retired person in your fifties or sixties wearing that and doing these investigations is also could change the game, right? Cause it's not an easy physically. It's not easy to do. Um, I'm 45. We go into fires and it's hot and you're tired afterwards, man. The older I get, the harder it is. So whether you're 55 or 60 doing fire investigations, post-retirement from the fire service for a private company, do you, do you want to continue doing that stuff? So hopefully the answer is yes, and you're going to do it safely with, with good gear. And, and I have yet to see um, an SCBA on a private sector investigator. I do see Pappers, I do see filter masks, uh, P100 cartridges. So that has changed as well in the last, I'd say, 10, 15 years. Uh, once again, people never wore much of anything. Maybe a dust mask if they were lucky, and now we're at least seeing those filter cartridges. So that's a good thing.
0: No, that's that's great, um, and it is. I mean, and you've seen it too because we've been on pretty much the same amount of time. The culture change. I mean, it is. It's it's getting there. It's not quite there, but this is. It's definitely a step in the right direction. The fact that you that we finally have a guidebook and actual parameters of you know based on the hours what you should be wearing is i think huge because there that hasn't existed really up until now and it's really just people guessing and then kind of doing what they wanted to do there there really wasn't a lot of, of, of guides before right now with this report so I, I, yeah. I applaud you for that
1: thank you man thank you i appreciate that 100 correct um and and what we well, we just don't know what we don't know. And now, now we do know a lot of that stuff. We're still learning. We're still researching. Um, there's there's a lot of folks that are a lot smarter than me, like I said, at the universities and NIOSH and UL and all that that get to do a lot of this research. And, and I find it completely fascinating. They're able to, uh, there, there's talk of a study uh, using a smart mannequin to figure out the dermal absorption uh, through... Different types of gear, different types of PPE. So um, that's just a teaser, but that 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 research is coming. I Can't say who or where or when, but uh, that technology is now out there uh, because we can't measure you and I what we get to absorb. Right? There's no way to measure it, but somebody's come up with a smart mannequin that that can measure what gets through the the skin because um, absorption's one of the ways that we get exposed. So absorption inhalation clearly is is one of the most scary nobody wants to have lung cancer or something worse uh which believe it or not there are things that are worse because you you don't necessarily die but you can't breathe so um they just restrict your lung capacity but uh yeah some of that stuff that's coming down the pike is amazing and uh, this this product that we put out this year um is is hands down you know, sixty pages worth of of a good read, and it's it's stuff that sometimes people look at you sideways and you go, "Wait a minute, what, why do I got to do that?" And and now we have the research to back up. Well, here's why. And uh, you know, once we started doing that stuff here in Arizona, I was getting phone calls from other fire departments that would, you know they'd see us on the news. We have news choppers over us. And I'd get a phone call, "Hey, what? Why are you got? You know, do you have a hazmat call or was that a meth lab or whatever?" And uh, I say, no, man, we're just, that's just what we're doing. And so having those conversations with people and, and getting them to change the way they're doing business is a, is a huge step in the right direction. Um, cause, cause nobody wants cancer. Nobody wants to, to have a, a line of duty uh, injury or death uh, doing our job. We want to do our job and go home safe to our families and then uh, hopefully enjoy a long retirement. So that's the game plan.
0: You can't say any better, my friend. <laughs> that, that is, that is ideal. That is the plan. Um, and what you guys are doing is really helping that. Um, then you, and you guys are also helping other areas. I know the IAAI has done some work with behavioral health as well. Would you mind touching on that?
1: Yeah. So that can be found on our website as well. Um, so I'll plug that now. So we've got the FireArson.com website. Um, and that's where you're going to find the third edition best practices as well as the behavioral health survey that we did. Um, a couple of years ago, we launched that and we found out that there is a need for health, behavioral health services in the fire investigation community. So we are working on that. I, I had the opportunity to present at the International Training Conference in Jacksonville, Florida last month. Um, and uh, it, it's a hard topic to talk about because nobody wants to talk about their feelings, man. So everybody wants to be the tough, the tough badass that, uh, you know, nothing bothers me. I'm, I'm a toughie. And uh, when it comes down to it, we all see some really horrible stuff throughout our careers. And uh, the longer you do the job, the more you realize, like, wow, I've seen some bad stuff. And uh, some of that stuff does have a tendency to haunt us. And it's okay to say, hey, man. I need to talk to somebody, I need to get some help. So that's kind of the message we're getting out there now. And we're trying to figure out the best way to do that. We have 83 chapters of the IAAI across the world. So we're we're coming up with a game plan of how to, to get help that's actually helpful because help that isn't helpful, isn't helpful, right? So um, when we've had different folks across the world, go to maybe an EAP program and get a clinician and they sit down and start telling their story and the clinician starts crying at, because they've never seen or experienced or even heard of anything as horrible as what the person that's having the issues is talking about, that's not helpful. So finding the right clinician that's, that's experienced in public safety, military, um, therapy, therapeutic services, cause there's a whole variety of them. Um, you don't have to sit on, it's not like Bob Newhart uh, some of the folks out there may not even know who the Bob is.
0: I called you old <laughs> earlier. I was kind of kidding, but now <laughs> you are showing your age,
1: dude. I'm telling you, the more the more I throw things out there, especially at the firehouse these days, and people look at me, and they're like, "What's that?" <laughs> it's pretty bad though. I, I did a thing at a high school, and I threw out the whole fire marshal bill thing, and nobody knew what I was talking oh. about. I'm <laughs> like,
0: oh, they weren't they weren't aware of the living color. Uh,
1: the old guy thing happens fast. Like I said, I'm only 45. I've been doing it a little over 20 years, but man, it just happens overnight. And the next thing you know, you're like, dang, I'm the old guy. So, uh, yeah, but anyway, so it's not like the Bob Newhart show where you got to sit on the couch and pour out your feelings, man. There's other types of, of therapy. There's accelerated, uh, accelerated resolution therapy, uh, a clinician kind of guide through in your own mind. You don't even have to talk about what's bothering you. Um, and they, they, it's a little bit similar to the EMDR therapy. It's a rapid eye movement thing. And uh, you don't have to talk about your feelings. And they're seeing results in like one to three sessions instead of weeks and weeks and weeks of, of therapy. So um, I'm, I'm all about breaking the stigma. Um, you know, I, I tell all my folks, if you guys need a cup of coffee at three in the morning, give me a call, I'll, I'll meet up with you. But that's another huge cultural change in the fire service um, that, that we're making. And, uh, it's, you know, I started this adventure cause I've had quite a few folks in my family that, that weren't firefighters, uh, have cancer. Uh, a couple of them have died. And so I started this thing out with the cancer prevention in mind. And then as time went on, um, the mental health side, uh, kind of reared its ugly head. So we've had, we've had our own dudes commit suicide, um, which is a terrible tragedy for everybody involved uh, we've had, I've had a family member, uh, commit suicide. So once that kind of stuff happens to you, you're like, wow, man, this is, this is uh, mind boggling. I, I mentioned that I spoke at the ITC in April and, uh, I asked everybody in the crowd and there's probably a hundred people in the room. And I said, uh, who in here has been affected by a suicide and dude, almost everybody raised their hand. Like it was mind boggling. So, if you haven't had that happen to you in your family or your, your professional life god bless you but if you do um, know that, that that ripple effect affects everybody and uh, it's okay to reach out and, and find some good services so that's one of the things that the IAAI has recognized and, and the survey results proved it so uh, we're going to continue forging a, a kind of ahead and uh, like I said uh, in Arizona, especially, we, we got missed on that on that bill, but we're working on getting the investigators added. Um, and then uh, I, I think the message is to everybody is just break that stigma. It, it's OK to ask for help, man.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, and you guys are as absolutely tremendous uh, how proactive you are. Um, more so than a lot of people uh, in Arizona. But again, this report is so comprehensive and uh, really needs to be out there. So I'm hoping that this episode helps with that. Lets people know that there's actually now a guideline and process in place for reducing our exposures and really extending our lives and being around.
1: Yeah, man. And we're having an effect too, you know, um, on, on other stuff. So that's, that's the cool thing. You see the ripple effect of, of one, one document and one group of people working hard, and then, uh, and you know, none of us are paid. None of us, none of us get paid to do what we do on the committee. Um, it's it's all voluntary, and it's all just you know because we want to make make the the fire service a safer, a better place to work. Um, the cool thing too is is that now you know the NFPA 921 document for fire investigations. Uh, is in review and and now there there will be a, a mention of mental health uh, for fire investigators in that document so what, what we've been able to do here with the with the safety committee and the, the third edition uh, is now trickling even into the NFPA documents so that's that's super cool to see that happening um, you know the IAFF has the center uh, for mental health and and that's a tremendous um, thing and right now it's it's currently only available to iaf members so if you're not a sworn firefighter that's that's in a union um you know there right now there's not a central place to go um, there's a lot of different uh groups across the country um and then you know the struggle too is that that we're a worldwide organization as far as the IWI. so i have absolutely no idea what's available in brazil uh, but you know i know that we have a chapter there so getting connected with somebody there that can find those clinicians to provide the services to our, our public safety folks is, is huge. So that's kind of our long-term goal is, is to be able to have a list for every chapter um, of a group of folks that they can go see. And then hopefully if we can get them included in their presumptive laws, whether that's the PTSD and cancer, um, you know, that's a work in progress across the country for sure.
0: Hey, real quick, just I, I just want to have silence for just one second. I was waiting for the snore. You got the dog right next to you snoring, don't I, you? I do. He's
1: hanging out, on yeah, and he's snoring his little little tail off.
0: <laughs> I'm je- I'm jealous. I didn't. I don't think I heard it initially, but now I, I it's, you know, I, again, I, I'm I'm jealous because you and I were both. uh you were at Eric Church last night. I was at Garth Brooks. We had a long night, and I want to be doing what your dog is doing.
1: Right? <laughs> they do that like 24 and a half hours a day. I, I don't know how they do it. I, I wouldn't be able to move. I get out, out of self-defense most of the time because if I stay in bed any longer, it's going to hurt too much. So, yeah, I don't know how they lay around for that long, but uh, they definitely can saw some logs, man. So. Um, Hey, before I forget, one other thing I want to plug, and this is for for everybody, whether you're a firefighter or a fire investigator, um, the IAAI has the CFITrainer.net website. Uh, That is free to sign up, create an account, and there is a ton of amazing training. Um, NFPA 1021, which is the fire officer's guide, actually requires fire officers to have some fire investigation training and background and knowledge. Um, there's, there's a certification that you can go through on there. Uh, it's like eight classes and you can get that certification. Um, it talks a lot about, and and I remember back in 2010, when I first started this investigation gig, uh, learning about fire flow path and, and how that affects fire growth. And and so there's a ton of good information about that on cfitrainer.net. It's free. I encourage everybody to get in there and check it out. Uh, and now they're also starting to do some, some, not just video, but it's live, uh, training sessions as well. So I encourage everybody to go on there check it out and, uh, hopefully you get some good training out of the deal.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, anything else we missed? Anything else you want to touch on? I know we, we actually covered a pretty good amount of ground in a short period of time.
1: No, man, I think we're doing great. Um, I'm like I said, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, excited for this third edition and uh, we'll see where the fourth edition goes. So I think it'll be probably two years maybe before we get out uh, another one, but uh, we're definitely getting the good word out. We're, we're starting to have an effect, making a cultural change. And uh, I think that's the most important thing. If anybody's got any questions, I'm always uh, willing to answer them. So uh, we can share my email if you'd like, you tell me. Um, so my email is michael m-i-c-h-a-e-l dot brewer b-r-e-w-e-r at mesa m-e-s-a-a-z dot gov
0: perfect thank you for sharing um we're getting out of time here but he is captain mike brewer cover boy (laughs) you can again get this in color of the international arson uh association arson investigators. Uh sorry. I wait till the very end to mess up. But, no, that's a- <laughs> you know, of the third edition. And uh really I appreciate your time. And uh, you know, the fire engineering world appreciates it as well, and just getting this word out there because this is important stuff that really will um impact the investigators everywhere.
1: Yeah, man. And in, in the title of my my speech there at, at the ITC was what is your why? And uh, you know. it's our families, it's our friends, it's our colleagues. Um, it's, it's that long-term goal of a healthy retirement. So, um, don't be afraid to make a change. Sometimes you got to be the weird guy that, uh, has a strange idea and you just have to, you know, you don't always get a yes. The first time you present an idea, uh, especially up, up the chain of command. Right. So sometimes you just got to keep, keep uh, persistent, keep knocking your head against the wall and eventually the wall will fall down. So that's kind of where we're at. And, and I encourage everybody to do that. Like I said, I'm, I'm willing to answer questions. We also have a draft SOP for fire investigators on the, the firearson.com website uh, under the health and safety committee. So there's there's a ton of great information. If you guys are, anyone struggling, please reach out and uh, I'll do what I can to help you.
0: Perfect. All right, he's Mike and I'm Jim. I'm going to get some sleep like this dog.
1: All right. We'll see you. Thanks, Jim.